ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode. I got to talk to Terrence Hanau. He was a cop for 21 years, but had to medically retire in 2019. Today, he's the owner of Blue Line Roasting. It's a coffee company he started in 2018, but not just to provide a quality coffee product. He also had the intention of supporting law enforcement and honoring fallen officers. During our conversation, we talked everything coffee, obviously. But he also talked about his secret battle and treatment for his own PTSD. But then finding his passion in his coffee company and being able to give back to the law enforcement community through the sale of his coffee. Episode 9 with Terrence Hanno. This is the Transition Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pantani, and I've been a police officer for 30 years. I'll be having interesting conversations with guests who are former first responders, military, or both, and who will explain their experiences with their transition. I cannot say this enough. Prepare today for your transition tomorrow. Regardless of the why, you're closing in on your retirement, you just want to do something different, or other circumstances have or are forcing your transition. I believe this podcast will be beneficial to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's get into this. Now that you've started a coffee company, does it, did it make you a coffee snob? Yeah. Can you not like... Can't. Can't go get a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven? Not 7-11? at Starbucks anymore. Not can't even at Starbucks. No, 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 no. Can't do it. Well... I, I just went on a trip to Tennessee and I brought my own coffee with me. And you have to grind it every time and do yeah, all that. Yeah. Do you do the pour over? Oh, pour over. Yeah, the AeroPress is everything. I, I, when you taste fresh coffee, it's day and night difference. It is. So I haven't gone that deep into the rabbit hole yet because I'm actually afraid that I'll get to a point where I can't. I don't really like Starbucks coffee, but I drink black coffee. And so, I like this then. Um, just being able to go into just any place and just go, just give me a black cup, cup of coffee. Yeah. And for the most part, I'm sure it, it I'll, I'll equate it to, I enjoy drinking wine. Yeah. There are wines that are very nice to drink. There are wines that aren't very nice to drink, yeah. but the going down that path with the coffee thing kind of makes me like, well, now what am I going to do? I'm going to go to a restaurant. I can't even order a cup you'll, of coffee. You'll drink it. I mean, if you have to, but I mean, generally speaking in the morning, you're going to want what you want, you know, whether it's a pour over an AeroPress or just, you know, in a Keurig, if, if that's the case, but you'll do it differently. Um, now, you know, what's the difference grinds. between an AeroPress and a pour over? Uh, AeroPress, you're actually pushing the coffee through a filter oh, okay. at, a, at a greater uh, pressure, I guess. If not, the pour over is just by gravity alone. And the different grinds, you can do different things. And it's there's there's a whole world out there. And I would imagine for everybody, they have their own preferences for how they want to do it. There's not one quote unquote no. right way to no. do it. No, it used to be people, th- you think about it, you go to a hotel room and you get like just that little Mr. Coffee pot or whatever, and you just pour over and you drink whatever coffee comes out of it. But things just like craft beer, craft wines, everything has changed over the years and coffee is just the next, next big thing. So people like their coffee. Everybody drinks coffee just about. So what's your magic recipe for how you make your coffee? I, well, I use it. It's called, there's two different methods of it's done. There's called a drum roaster, which is the, the old traditional. You see those big giant machines in there, and they'll they'll batch up anywhere from, I mean, 100 pounds on on up. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Usually, it's propane, so it's heat. The beans are churned in there. there there's an actual skin that comes off the coffee bean itself, and it's called chaff. That gets burned back into it. So back in the 70s, there's some guy named Sibitz, I think his name is. 
he did, it's called a fluid, fluid bed air roaster, hot air fluid bed roaster. It's basically like a popcorn machine. It's hot air turns into a bowl and you have your temperature probes and all the chaff that comes off it gets sucked up through a vent. So it doesn't get burned back into it. That's where you get the bitterness and the acidity in coffee because that chaff gets burned back into the coffee. If you look at Starbucks, they burn all their coffee. They're known for that. That's what they call it, Charbucks. They do it because it just saves time or? It's, well, because it's an old tradition and you can buy these massive machines that can roast hundreds of pounds at a time. My, the machine I have only 10 pounds uh, for the average roast is even from nine minutes to about 12 minutes, give or take. So, but mine, um, it, it's only 10 pounds per roast. So it's a smaller batch. You can buy a bigger machine. I think the biggest one they make is about 50 pounds. So you're constantly roasting when you can do it in these big giant drums and just be a mass seller. So obviously we're talking about your company, Blue Line. Uh, Blue Line Roasting. Blue Line Roasting. And how long have you been in business? Uh, since 2018. 2018. And how many, you've got different lines here. How many different line, or would it be called a line of coffee? Just different blends. Um, we have six, actually. I only brought five because the other one is a color justified blend. That's a, um, that's a decaf. Nobody drinks decaf. Why would you? What if you just like the taste of coffee and you don't want the caffeine? There is that. There, and there's people with heart troubles that actually do Because I, you know, I, I have actually just drank decaffeinated coffee really? for the mere fact of, like I said, I like a cup of black coffee. I just like the taste of it. I don't yeah. need the caffeine. I'm not one of those people who wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I need a cup of coffee because I need to get going. It, yeah. I just want the flavor. I need at least one cup in the morning. If not, I'm non-functional. Forget, <laughs> just forget about me for the day. But uh, no, those are the five blends that we have, and each one is different. Um, some are mixed with Brazilian beans, Guatemalans, um, Sumatra, Peru- Peruvian beans. Um, I have my own little secret recipe, and all of them are, it's... Give a rundown on the, on the different lines that you have. Uh, well, they're basically just, there's a, a, a I'm sorry, uh, a light, medium, and dark. And then we have two other darker ones, which is, I can't see from on this end of it. Um, our fur missile is our espresso. It's just one of our darkest, if you like a really dark roast, that's the way you want to go. Um, Does it ta- need to be made in an espresso? No, okay. No, no, it's actually, that one works out pretty good, like in a, just a basic drip situation. But any, any bean, any blend you have, you can always do, um, you can grind it differently. Like, for instance, if you had a, uh, a French press, you, you're familiar with those? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what an AeroPress is, but it's different. But your grind's going to be very coarse because you want the beans, to, actually the grounds to be soaked in there for about four to five minutes. And then you press it through. More water that hits the bean the more the taste that you're going to get. So sometimes you may want to soak it in there because it's going to bring out those flavors differently than you would if it was extremely fine, putting it through a filter. So again, there's, you can hack this thing up any way you want it. It's, it's all about preference, just like anything else, you know. Do you find that when you're playing around with it, will you mix your blends? Uh, I have in the past. Each one of these have anywhere from three to five different beans in each bag, and it's blended based on... Um, percentages so it's kind of hard to it's kind of a little hard to explain but um, there's a system to everything and there's also you know there's you can just be honest you started a coffee company so you could travel the world and write <laughs> it off i'll tell you how i started it to be honest with you so well back in 2018 um, when i was iod um, I, I was watching uh the guy the owner from black rifle hoff i forgot his first name and uh, he was on fox news and he was talking about you evan, know evan haffer yes that guy He's incredible. So he's a vet. And this is during the time during the Obama administration where they were bringing in like 10,000 Syrians and Starbucks was going to hire them all. And he's like, that's BS. Why, why don't you hire vets? So he started, you know, his, his black rifle coffee. And I thought, God, that's a good cause. 
wonder if cops do the same thing. Google it real quick. There wasn't very many at all. And there, they seemed like they were kind of reeky dink companies that were just doing it, you know, out of their bedroom kind of thing, out of their kitchen. And um, I thought, you know what? I can do this. This can't be that hard, right? And I, and I figured I want to help somebody. I love coffee anyways. So uh, I got I got got a guy that built my website, um, got a graphics designer guy. He designed my first bags. These are my newest ones. I just got these probably about two months ago. These were my design. Um, and, uh, and I went to Clatch Coffee. So there's a thing called rebranding. I'm sure a lot of people are aware of. Um, or it's also called toll roasting. So you can buy beans, give them to a roaster, and you tell them exactly, hey, this is exactly what I want done, and they'll roast it for you, and they charge you a tremendous amount of money to do that. So I actually end up using Clash's coffee, and it was basically rebranding. And then I was selling coffee left and right. It was great. I was doing fundraisers for cops across the United States and what have you. And then uh, I thought, God, well, my company name is Blue Line Roasting. So shouldn't I be roasting <laughs> like this? I don't, I don't, I almost felt like it was fraudulent, but everybody else does this. This is a normal thing to do. And believe it or not, I roast a ton of coffee for other companies and they rebrand as their brand. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's a totally normal thing to do. Um, but I just didn't feel good about it. I figured I'm going to keep up to my name and stuff. So I bought this little three pound, uh, hot air roaster and I don't know, about a thousand pounds later, I finally figured out how to do it. I was burning stuff left and right. You know, everything was on fire in my garage. I started off my garage and uh, it just went from there. And then people were like, Hey, this is really good coffee. All my neighbors were tweaked out because I'm giving out stuff. All my friends were like, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? They're like, this is like phenomenal. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. So I went from there and then, uh, I did a fundraiser for, uh, I'm not sure if you remember back in 2016, there was the, actually it was six uh, Baton Rouge deputies were shot. Three were killed, I think. Uh, One was injured, Nick Tillier. Um, He was the one who shot in the head, the gut, and the arm. The other two were, I think, somewhat superficial, and they they survived it. Um, I contacted the family, because I I read a story. I'm like, this guy, he's messed up for life. And it just, you see him, he's never, ever going to have a regular life. And it was, it just, to me, the, the story kind of hit me hard. So I called the family and said, Hey, look, we'd like to do a fundraiser for you guys and get some money, get him a, a different bed. If he needs a bed or, or a better wheelchair, I don't care what it is. They have the most incredible support there in Baton Rouge. It's unbelievable. We sold, it was around $12,000 in coffee in one day. Wow. So I was able to send them a check. I, my, the way I do things is 50% of the proceeds go right towards their, whatever their cause is. So I was able to give him a check for, like, I think, five or $6,000, and he bought whatever he needed for his medical needs. And that, for me, was very empowering. But this little tiny machine, it took me forever. <laughs> Three pounds every, you know, nine to 12 minutes, depending on what, you, what it is. Um, and I'm like, that's it. So I went and I invested uh, 15 grand in a new machine that does the 10 pounds every, you know, 10 minutes or so. And and now I can just batch. I mean, I can batch hundreds of pounds in one day and keep up with the rest of them. So, yeah. So obviously your your coffee line is Blue Line Roasting, mm-hmm. leaning towards the law enforcement. How long were you in law enforcement? Uh, 21 years. 98 to, what was it? 98 to uh, 19. Do you come from a line of law enforcement in your family? First. You're the first one? First generation, yeah. Where'd you grow up? Uh, city of La Cunada. So Southern California? Yeah. Born and raised? Yep. And what took you to law, well, when did you know you wanted to go into law enforcement? I think since I was a kid. 
ever since I was a kid, we played cops and robbers back then in the seventies and you know the early eighties and stuff. And um, I'll admit, I, I got chased around by deputies quite a bit as a kid. We were, I mean, this is seventies, <laughs> you know, it's it is what it is. I actually got my first unlicensed ticket at ten years old by a deputy. What were you riding? Uh, or dirt driving? Bike. Uh. Dirt bike. Yeah, he got me. Took the bike. I go to court, and the, the judge laughed. He's like, "What are you doing here?" I don't know, Your Honor. Like my mom's sitting right here, <laughs> kind of thing. And but I, I always had respect for them. Um, I just figured it was a job where you can actually truly help somebody, opposed to pushing numbers or sitting behind a desk somewhere doing something like that. And I like the outdoors too, something different. So through high school, you that was you, you were targeted. That's what you were going to do as law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. Um, spent. I'm sorry. How, what years again? Uh, Ninety eight to twenty nineteen. But so you ended up getting injured, correct? Yeah. Give me a little bit of. Uh, it uh, it was so it's just really two phases to it. Um, back in 2017, uh, I was watching in the um, it was Texas. Those I think it was five dep or five debbies were killed. I'm not sure if you remember it. And there was those two giant cement markers, and the bad guy had AR. He he was kind of baited out one of the other officers. The officer went around. The guy came up behind him and, and lit him up from behind and killed him. And I remember watching that going, it was in June or July of 2017, I'm sorry, 2016. And it just made me sick to my stomach. I'm like, and I've seen a lot of cop videos of, I've seen cops getting killed too. It's, but seeing that one for whatever reason triggered me. And uh, I was on duty that day, went to some cheesy call and I got sick in the stomach. I'm like, God, I don't really feel so good right now. And I, I could feel it rushing from my stomach up. And I'm like, my partner's looking at me. He's like, dude, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know, man. I go, I think I'm about to have a heart attack. And it, it ran through me like a, uh, like a freight train right through my chest, out the top of my head. And my partner goes, yeah, I'm rolling fire. I'm like, don't call anybody yet. Cause whatever it is just blew out the top of my head kind of thing. And, uh, I'm like, I'm not right, but I just need to go to the station, take a breather. So I went to the station, took off all my gear and I couldn't breathe for the life of me. I could not breathe. So what I figured out many months later, it was a massive panic attack, and but I did not understand it. But we're cops. We don't go to the fire department. Hey, man, can you check me out? What's going on with me kind of thing? So um, how, as, was it, how was it ultimately diagnosed as a panic attack? Uh, months later through therapy. Okay. So, and, and I'll get to that part of it. But so for months, uh, it got worse and worse and worse. But that one, that one massive one, um, was later to be possibly an actual heart attack because I found out later on my heart was damaged. So did the, did the panic attack damage the heart or was the heart already damaged? I, I think it was a heart attack slash panic attack. I think it was, they kind of coupled together somehow. Okay. Um, but months went by at least six months and I'd had certain episodes. I was usually working evening shift and stuff, um, swings or graves. And, uh, I'd have these, these episodes in the middle of the night going to some, simple 415 call and I'm bawling in my unit. I can't go to this next call because I'm next, you know, and I figured I was going to die. That was just, it was hyper vigilance on steroids at its best. Um, and I know this, a lot of it stems from also for when my partner Jordan was killed from at work. And I think that surfaced two, two years later, three years later, because I didn't deal with it then. And it, all these things started to accumulate. Um, I, I always call it as like, you have a cup of water in your soul and sometimes it's full. Sometimes it's half, you know, empty type of thing or half full. 
And throughout life, it's constantly going up and down, up and down. Sometimes a little bit splashes out, freaks you out, little whatever, right? But that's all the good and the bad stuff that's inside your soul. Mine burst and it th- and was full for a long time. And I think it just dumped everything in my system and it, it completely messed up my, my nerve system, I guess. Um, so I got to a point where I couldn't talk to anybody at work about it because what are they going to say? Uh, you go see somebody, give me your gun, give me your badge kind of thing. We've seen it happen to other guys. Unfortunately, my agency was not very supportive of these things because I don't think that they know about PTSD. Um, I think they're too afraid to talk about it because of what that's, what kind of can of worms that's going to open up. Um, we've lost an officer to suicide in the past, you know, and, and it just kind of goes, well, it is what it is. Well, no, it's not. This is, these are important people. So my situation got worse. And then I think it was in June or January 3rd of 2017. I'm like, I can't go back to work. It was on my Monday. And I said something, if I'm no good to anybody, if I can't control myself and, and you have to know the difference of like, I'm in trouble right now, right. but I couldn't ask because if you ask, you get in more trouble. So I figured my lower back for the, the 10 years prior to that, I had an MRI done and my L5 S1 disc is gone. It's been bone on bone for years and I just deal with it, you know, take a lot of ibuprofen here and there, some naproxen or something like that, wear a patch, a back brace every once in a while. Um, and uh, I just dealt with it, but I figured I need to get away from work for a little bit so I can figure out what's going on up here because this can be fixed. I know that that can be fused together, but this needs to get fixed. So I um The back actually probably has a greater likelihood of you losing your ability to be a cop. Yes. I don't want to say not treating the mental part of it. No, 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 I agree with you. Um, Actually, that was the thing that got me retired. So I I told the sergeant and I was on duty. I'm like, hey, my back's been jacked up. I need to go see somebody. He's like, all right, go to the clinic, this, that, and the other. Go to the clinic. And they say, okay, you're back to work in three days. I go, I don't think you understand. This is not going to happen. I know, but I couldn't tell them the other purpose behind it. And so I contacted an attorney and they said, no, you can be on IOD for, you know, until you get this thing fixed. First, we got to get an MRI, get you some treatment, get you some pills. And I'm like, I don't want pills. I'm not into painkillers like that. Um, So that all transpired. And as this was happening, you start to feel the separation from your brothers and sisters in the department. And you start to feel like you're an outcast and and that doesn't work. And I think it made things somewhat worse. Then I started feeling alienated. The department never assigned a liaison to contact me to see how I was doing. The chief may have called me and this, don't forget, this took two and a half years to, to finish up. And he, I think he called me maybe two or three times and that was it over that time. Never assigned someone, Hey, check on Terrence, what's going on, this and that. So as this got worse, um, PTSD started kicking in and I couldn't see, well, you're suing the city because you're back because it's workers comp. So therefore everything's up you know, they could subpoena whatever they want. I wanted to go see counseling, but not their counselor. Cause I know the ones we used to use in the past, the chief would always know what you talked about. Like, how is this confidential? I want to, I want to get this straight, but I want to go through my people. So at the time, um, and this is all 2017, 2017. Yeah. And I was, um, I've always had a Christian faith, but I started really pushing into it more asking What's going on? Like, why is this happening to me? Because I never had a problem. I was the first guy through every door. I got involved in a lot. Of, I was considered a shit magnet at work. Um, saw a lot of stuff. Did a lot of stuff. I'm very proud of you know my my job there. But it does take a lot a lot out of you in that aspect. 
So we uh, went to church, you know, trying to find God a little closer, what have you stuff. And uh, I want to say three months into this thing, so like around March or so, I started to become suicidal. And it wasn't, people always think suicide, you're selfish because, you know, you want to hurt yourself. It has zero to do with wanting to hurt yourself. Zero, 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 zero. You want the pain to stop. That pain of PTSD and all that stuff, like I said, that stuff flooding in, in your soul is too much. It's too much for anyone to bear. And I'm, I'm kind of, it's sad because I wish I had known this when I became a cop because I think I would have understood these people who want to commit suicide a little better. Or when they're freaking out, running down the street half naked, I can go, okay, I, under, I understand what you're, you know, and, and treat them a little better because now I understand what that's like. You just want the pain to stop. That's it. You're not being selfish about it. I mean, sure, you're leaving everyone behind, but when you feel like that's your only recourse, um, that's not a good place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. So um, I started reaching deeper in the church, and then uh, I actually went to see uh, a counselor through the church that was licensed. They had their own business, but they did stuff for the church and stuff. So I paid him under the table 10 months every week to every two weeks, 150 bucks. I paid him cash. There was no paper trail. He understood it. He goes, as long as you don't say anything, they can't pull any records on this thing, you know, the HIPAA, all this other stuff. And uh, it took me 10 months to get my, my noodle straight. And for those listening who have not been in law enforcement, 2017 may seem like, oh, it was just yesterday. And, and it, five years ago, almost six years ago now. But from the mental health aspect, it's almost a lifetime. It is a lifetime. Because it's getting better today. It, mm-hmm. it definitely is improving. But what was what was normal five years ago is, is light and day compared to what it is today. Yep. yep. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, I was at first. Obviously, you can't, you know, until, until the city finally retired me. Um, and I'm more open about it now because I... There are other people, there's other guys, cops, you know, male and female that are experiencing the same, the same type of things, but they don't say anything. Excuse me. And if, if they have the chance to be able to sit down and talk to somebody in the same field and tell them, hey, I understand what you're going through. Let me get you through this. Excuse me. That's a lifesaver. It just is. Um, I had a friend of mine, Jim McDonough, um, one of our retired sergeants, and he knew early on what I was going through. And I had told him, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm scared. Like, I think I might eat my gun kind of thing. And he's like, Nope, we're going to, we're going to work through this thing. That guy called me almost every single day or every other day. And he constantly checking in and we, he knew I was always honest with him. I, when he knew there's days I was really bad and he'd come out and see me, we talk about it, you know, and, but he did that for at least two years straight. And I, I, I'm in debt to him, you know? Now, obviously an in- an entire career, whatever a length of a career is, we see so much in law enforcement that we're forced to bury it. Yeah. You know, and I've heard a, a great analogy. Uh, the gentleman's name is Travis Howes. He's a former Marine and actually former police officer. And he talks about how, you know, military veterans, when they come home, they really don't have that visual representation or mm-hmm. that, that daily reminder. But law enforcement, first responders, we're still driving through the same intersections every day of our life. And we don't have the ability to, to, to let it out. Yeah. We, we just, we constantly have to keep repressing it. Yeah. And so that's what just builds. But you mentioned earlier that you had your panic attack in 2017, but you believe it was undealt with issues from your partner dying. How many years had gone by? 
Uh, Jordan was killed in 2014, September 30th of 2014. Um, and I was with him um, when he passed. And it was, we were eating lunch in the, on the trunk of my car. It was actually Employee Appreciation Day at City Hall. We're eating a habit, and he was screwing with me with some other. He's a younger kid. And his dad was a captain of us, uh, Mark Quarter. And uh, we're talking, you know, he was in the process of getting divorced. So, you know, we're consoling each other kind of thing. And I got some cheesy call. And I'm like, get off my unit, dude. I got to go to this call. So he throws all his trash in the backseat of my car as usual, right? And uh, I leave to this call and not even, and he's on a motor. So for, it, for those listening, that throwing trash in the backseat of your partner's car, car is a normal, a normal thing. It's a normal thing. It's everyone does this. If, if just if that is the only thing that happens, you're in luck. Um, so he just graduated, I think, four weeks prior from motor school. It was his first day with his brand new boots that go up to his knees. So we're all, we're all trying to step on him, you know, dirty him up and stuff like that. And, and uh, anyway, so I, I kick him off the trunk of my car. I got to go to this, handle this car real quick. And I leave and 30 seconds go by and they cancel my call. So I'm northbound Citrus and he was southbound Citrus. He ended up chasing after some other motor. Um, and that's when the crash occurred. Um, he hit a lady who was making a left in front of him doing 80. So they were putting out... Um, you know, there was a motor down. We didn't know, but they kept calling Mary one, Mary one, which was a call sign and nothing. I'm like, oh. so sure shit. You know, I'm the first one there and he was down. It was a horrible thing to see because I can see the impact itself was, was really bad. I don't think I've seen an impact with a motor that bad in the 21 years as a cop, but we got to him and, um, he, uh, I think he died on impact, but of course, you know, you're working on him type of thing. And we flipped him over. We'll put it this way. The impact was so great. His boots came off both of them. So in, in his badge, Ashley Kane unclasped and was down the street. It wasn't torn off or anything. It's just that impact. People talk about how it knocks you out of your shoes. Sometimes these are boots up to your knees. And I knew at that point, this was dire. Um, so we flipped him over and, you know, we started doing CPR right away. And I, I worked on him for at least 15 minutes and, Fire, of course, is the one time they take forever to get there, and their station's only two blocks around the corner. Um, but uh, the thing that that haunts me, that, that well, it's two things, really, is, one, he, he was staring at me the whole time, and I, I can't get that out of my head. I can't. And, I, and I, the one thing I can hope for is that he knows that I was there. He, he didn't die alone. You know, he was with a brother, um, and I was taking care of him the best I could. The other thing that, that I still have a hard time with, and I think this is why, I had all those issues was it was why, how could I have not just sat with him for 10, 15 more seconds BSing about his divorce or doing that, that motor that was flying down citrus, you would never have thought he'd be cruising around doing wheelies right now on his, on his bike, you know, still alive doing his thing. And I know you can't sit there and say, you know, you, you hold yourself responsible for it, but you still do. Cause you know how law enforcement is. If, your partner gets hurt because of something that may you have taken part in, you're going to be like, oh, man, I, I, I was part of that. And uh, I think that took a long time to um, grow and, de- and develop into this part of the PTSD. Well, three years is a long time to sit on that. Yeah. Yeah. I did drink did- a lot during that time too. Unfortunately, that was my coping mechanism, which is you'll never find on the bottom of a bottle. I guarantee it. You can, you can go there. And it's not going to end up there. And so leaning back to what you were talking about earlier, I'm assuming you didn't, you were not afforded some sort of psychological counseling or, or re- they did, they offered it, but it's the same counseling team. 
and they can't be trusted. Unfortunately, because again, in the past, the last chief you know, would always know about what you had talked about. So how is that confidential? If you really want me to get help, that's the way you do it. Let me talk to someone who I can really truly talk to. Um, so in everyone knew that it, you just couldn't really, you couldn't talk to the counseling team, unfortunately. Um, I'm, I'm sure they do good work. I don't, I'm not here to bad mouth them, but maybe that particular chief at the time, he had some pull. He's, he was always a hands-on wanting to know everything kind of guy. And I think that's how that trans, you know, transpired. But as time went on, I just, you know, did my duty and until it finally came crashing down and it, it took a toll. Well, and the, I would say even more important of encouraging people to get help, regardless if it's true or not, regardless if the, tr- the chief actually knew what you were talking about, that was the perception that mm-hmm. you had, that your other partners had. And so if that's the perception, that needs to be changed. Changed. Absolutely. Because you're never going to go seek help if you don't feel that it's confidential. Absolutely. Whether it's the the chief or administration demanding to know what's being talked about or the the psychologist is giving more information than what they should. That's the whole stigma of why cops don't go ask for help. And that's what we're slowly seeing changing. Yeah. But we need to definitely change. More. I think there's a part of it, too, is a machismo. It's kind of like, of course. I'm this hardened guy. I, I can handle anything. Um, I, I'm living proof that that's not the case. Um, like I said, I was a pretty hard cop. I, I did my job. I did it, you know, diligently. Um, and I wasn't afraid. I was a fearless cop. I, I went out and tackled everything. And it, it, it took from that to crumbling to a, a grown man crying in the black and white at 1130 at night, going to some cheesy party call, thinking that you're next. It, it can't. That's... How does that happen? Well, and know? to think that you can deal with it yourself. It's it's almost like if you're saying, hey, I'm going to go learn how to box and I'm going to spend every day of the week and I'm going to be in the ring and I'm going to spar with my coach, but I'm never actually going to put the yeah. gloves up against somebody else who's boxing me and then be able to say, oh, I'm good at boxing. Yeah. You don't know. You've The same way between your ears, you need somebody professional yes. who knows how to help you. Yeah. For me, and again, I know there's, there's counseling help out there. Um, again, I, I have a Christian faith. Um, I wanted mine to be a balance of both. Um, and I'll, I'll explain the reason why, um, in March, well, March, maybe April of 2017, I'm about four months into this thing. I kept pushing in, in the church asking, and I kept, you know, praying to God, like, why is this happening to me? Cause I'm not at work anymore, but I'm having these, the, the way it was described the PTSD that I have, it, there's adre- it's an adrenaline dump. There's either fight or flight. So a lot of people, their PTSD is fight, and they're very violent. They start breaking stuff, what have you. Mine is I run now. Before, I used to run to, the, to all the danger. Now I run away from it kind of thing. And this, this adrenaline will literally just come out of nowhere. And it's this huge dump of inflow of adrenaline in your system, and your body just can't take it. And you, you'll feel shaky in your bones. You think everyone's out to get you. And, and you think nothing, nothing around you is safe. Nothing. So when I used to see people run down the street doing whatever, you're grabbing a hold of them, and they're, they're you can't touch me. I get it now, <laughs> bro. I get it. I, right. I understand that now, you know. And I probably wouldn't have been as heavy-handed back then if I just knew. Maybe, hey, I've been down this road. I, I get this part of it, kind of thing. Um, but I got a phone call from I, I, growing up with my buddy, uh, three since we're three years old. He's a customs agent up in Oregon. Um, he's dealing with all that stuff in Portland right now. It's just a disaster. 
Um, his mom, she's got to be 78 now, I think, give or take. Haven't talked to her in years, right? And in the middle of the night one night, I was on a very, at a very bad point in my life. And I was another night of considering, you know, pondering that thought of what to do. And uh, she sends me this text message. And she says, the Lord told me to give you this, this, uh, this verse. It was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I'm like, what the heck? It's like literally late at night. And what is she doing up so late being her age or what have you? And I haven't taught her in three years. So at that point, at that point, yeah, at that point. And, uh, I'm like, I put my gun down, just look up German. It says, you know, for I have plans for you not to harm you, you know, plans for a future for you. So I'm gonna bomb my very bag. That changed my life it, because all my answers were with him, right? Or, or God or Lord and within yourself. But you, there needs to be some kind of a connection between the two in order for, for all this to start getting healing. And that's when I had started the counseling through the church and stuff. And uh, you know you're in the right place when you're, when you're telling the therapist about the story I just told you and on his business card has the same scripture. on. It's like, okay, I know where I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm a believer in a higher power, you know, or God that can do these things. And people say, well, that's just a coincidence. I've been asking for the longest time what my purpose is here. And why is all these things happening to me out of the blue? Like, how did this transpire? And he gave it to me in a text message from a lady I haven't talked to in three years. Sorry, to me, that's a miracle. It just, it simply is. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. At the end of the day, whether somebody wants to explain it as coincidence or you want to explain it as faith, it's what we each take from it. Yeah. That's all that's important. Yep. At the end of the day, your relationship with, with the higher power, the Lord God, that's between you and yep. and him her um and so if it works for you that's what's important yeah yeah no he's uh god saved my life without a doubt so and i i made it a point that you know i'll serve him from here on out and do the best i can i'm i'm not perfect by any means i'm very far from it but uh he gave me he gave me a second chance so now you had to battle with your city to get medically retired for your back correct ultimately you would it have ever been able to get to a point where you could have, well, it's, this is a two-part question. You were dealing with the mental health issue privately. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're probably still seeking ongoing help. Uh, not Maybe so, not as frequently. Not so much now um, because PTSD can be overcome. It can't. And I, I tell anyone who says that it can't, it, it's lying to you because it can be because that was my doubt. Now, instead of just trying to stay alive in the, on the job, it's now just trying to stay alive, period. And there's ways to do it. There's, there's exercise, healthy eating. Church for me was a big thing, you know, and, and finding my purpose in life. But also for me, it was doing something for other cops. If I can't serve the community I'm, I'm working in anymore, well, I'd rather serve cops than if I can because they're all my brothers and sisters. You know, I've always felt that way. I, I bleed blue, you know, through and through kind of thing. And a better way to do it over a cup of coffee. Right. So when, when you say you can, do you ever, well, you not, maybe not necessarily ever get through PTSD, but you get to a point where you're dealing with it or coping it. with it or managing yeah. it. Did that come before the medical, before you finalized your medical retirement? Yes. So if your back could have been repaired, could you, or did you want to go back to work? Uh, at that point, I was gone so long, no, but there's, I had some other medical issues and I think this is where to kind of go back to that incident, 
um, on that call when I had that rush that came through. So I had went to my doctor because I felt my like, blood pressure was high. I'm like, I probably should go get that checked or whatever. So I go in there and the nurse hooks me up to all the electrolytes and she does an EKG on me. And then she's on the phone at 911. I have a patient that's about to have a heart attack. And I listen to her. I'm like, there's nobody else in here. and must be talking about me. Not the phone call you want to hear when you're in the it, hospital. It, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, like lady, like what's going on here? She's like, just be patient. Just relax, relax. And, and she's like, she's going back and forth to this 911 operator. He's breathing. He's a little flush. His EKG is all over the map. And I'm like, okay, it's me. It, it's, I'm the only one hooked up to an EKG here at this point. And, and then this isn't helping me calm down. <laughs> no. And then the PTSD kicks in again. So I'm ripping leads off and what have you. And, now I'm freaking out. The room is tiny and it's starting to f- come back into me. And I'm like, I need to step outside and get some fresh air. I know what the things that I need to bring my level down. And she goes, you can't leave. I'll call the police. And I'm like, well, what? this is a medical. I'll just AMA out if I have to, you know? So I go outside and I actually I give her my keys. I go, I'm not leaving. I'll let fire check me out because I don't want to die. But at the same time, I-, I need my space. I need to be, just give me some room. I'm a responsible person. I'll figure this thing out. And, um, so she was cool about it. Finally. So fire rolls up and, uh, the guy hooks me up. I told, <laughs> I remember I told the fire guy, I'm like, Hey bro, I'm like, I'm a cop. Just do me a favor. Give it to me straight. Don't sugarcoat this thing. He goes, brother, he goes, I got you. And I'm like, okay. And I, I love fire guys. I think you never know when they're going to be peeling you off the street somewhere. So always be nice to them. Um, he, uh, he goes, how many cans of Red Bull did you have? I go, zero. I haven't had coffee this morning yet. I came here for high blood pressure. He goes, your heart is all over the place. He goes, you're not going to die, though. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's all I want to know. He goes, well, I go, I'd rather just transport myself to the hospital. He goes, well, we'd like to take you if you want. I go, I'll make you a deal. I'll let you take me, but I'm sitting in the back of the rig. Don't, don't strap me down. I go, because I got some other issues going on here, and I'm willing to go on the program, but if you tie me down, this is going to turn into a bad situation. And, um, he's like, not a problem. So I get to the hospital and, um, they ran a bunch of tests, blood tests and stuff. And they came back. There was an, I don't know how they can test this with blood with your heart, but they said I had an injury and they said it didn't happen today. So I had told them about that incident and they think that it was potentially a heart attack that that first incident that I had because my left atrium was massive. It was blown out compared to all the other, the ventricles and the other atrium. Um, and they said, you're going to have a stroke. You're going to how much time passed are we talking between the, what you thought was a panic attack in this incident? Oh, s- probably maybe a year, less okay. than a year, maybe nine months, give or take something like that. But this was the first incident that you had had since that? No, I had other incidents between it, but they related the, the EKG. Well, the EKG got me into the hospital and then they look, take a look at my heart and they said, dude, your atrium is like massive. They said, it'll blow up, excuse me, any second. And you're just going to stroke out and die. I'm like, well, that's great. So they pumped me full of a bunch of, you know, whatever it was. I think they pumped me with Haldol and some Ativan. Just to bring you down. Bring me down. And then um, they said, you need to go see a cardiologist because you're going to die. And I'm like, great. This is lovely. So at that point, I figured I could go back with my back. I'll be in a lot of pain. My head was getting better to some degree, but it, I knew it was never going to be fully there and being reintroduced to things. You know, I don't think it'd be fair for the department. I don't think it'd be fair for the community. I don't think it'd be fair for me to, you know, to continue on doing that. So I had to make a decision and I figured I chose life, you know? Um, and then I, I told my attorney, I said, Hey, just throw the heart in there too. Cause this is obviously it's, it's related to or whatever. And it took two and a half years for the city to finally 
you know, give me the thumbs up and a year and a half of it. I'm not getting paid. But being able to come to that realization where it's not worth, and I don't want to call it a fight, but to get back to being able to go back to work is a hard decision to say, nope, I'm ready to walk away now. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give up this fight. Just get me to the point, you know, dealing with the city so I can walk away. It is. Um, I remember an old sergeant of mine told me once, he says, know when your shelf life has expired. And that always rang in my head. And I figured 21 years, it's long enough. I, I can deal with that. You know, it's a good long career. I served honorably. You know, I did what I could and stuff. And, um, you know, there's, there's a different purpose for me in life. And, you know, I think a lot of it's this, I love helping out, um, you know, other cops, other fundraisers. I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but the fundraising we do, uh, we give about probably about a thousand bucks worth of coffee every single month. And it's to other agencies all across the United States that do fundraising for their own cause, whether it's to hire a new dog, get vests for their, you know, for their officers, um, or officer has cancer or something along those lines. The last one we just did for Concerns of Police Survivors, which I'm sure you know, you've heard of them. Um, we gave a coffee and it was at a golf tournament. We raised 17 grand for their organization. I've done my part. And, and that makes me feel good because they're a great organization. What, what Concerns of Police Survivors do, it's amazing. Um, so there's, you know, there's uh, Survivors of Blue Suicide. I'm trying to get into different pockets of things that I've experienced where I can now start helping out. Um, everyone loves coffee. You know, I figure it's, it's, I'm not here to make a ton of money on it, um, but the business is thriving. It's great. But I, I, I like when you get these letters from concerns of, hey, dude, I made 17 grand. I'm like, where else can you do that? So it makes me happy. And, and that, that, that's my purpose now of, of um, still being in the game, just in a different level. So you said you making your transition away. When did you start thinking or when was it in your head that, all right, I'm done. Now let me start looking at my next path. And was coffee the first thing you came across or? No, it was actually the DA's office. I wanted to go to the San Bernardino DA uh, was my goal when I hit 50. Um, but I wasn't there at that point just yet. And I knew if I took a medical, that's not going to happen. They say you can still try. You can fight CalPERS with it. I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. Um, being a street cop was definitely done for me. Investigations, I probably could still handle something like that. Um, but I, I figured I just hang it up at this point. And coffee came what in 2018 when I watched that video on Fox news and I just figured, you know, I always want to be my own business owner, but I don't want to do something that's just for me being that selfish kind of entrepreneur type of thing. I want to do something where I, I can actually give back. So I started this. So not to be silly. So the, the idea of coming, going into coffee came organically. It just yeah. happened. It wasn't something you were seeking out. No. That was not just an idea on Fox News and Googling cop coffee. There wasn't much there. Some guy in Seattle was throwing stickers on some bags and it looked all, you know, cheesy. And I'm like, I could do a better job than that. Come on. This is not that hard. Oh, God, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard owning your own business. But I will say it's uh, it's it's a great learning experience. So for somebody looking to potentially open a coffee company, you talked about you started out with a small roaster. Mm -hmm. You're going to be quickly overwhelmed if you're trying to produce in bulk. Yeah. So you now have a 10 pound roaster. Yeah. Is there a big, is it, like, what's your end goal? What's, they're, what's the Cadillac? Of they're building another, the same company, coffee crafters, allegedly they're building a 50 pound, uh, fluid air bed, air bed roaster. So hopefully, um, down the road, we'll see right now. I'm comfortable with this because I could roast for a couple hours in one day and have a couple hundred pounds easy. And how much, and how much space does a 10 pound roaster it's take not that up? Big. It's, about the size of the table there with the it's like seven feet long, 
maybe four and a half, five feet tall. It's not real big. So now starting your own business, you talk about designing a website. What other, if you could go back and be in your same shoes back in 2018, what mistakes did you make that you would kind of give yourself advice? Hey, like, don't do this again. Don't give your neighbors burnt coffee because they'll <laughs> hate you forever. Um, I don't know. You know what? I, the only advice I think I could really give is just do it. Um, I didn't have anyone standing by my side to say, hey, this is how you do this. This is how you do it. Everything has been done, you know, by myself, trial and error. First off, you know, roasting the coffee, burning the hell out of everything. Everything tasted like crap, you know. And then I started Googling, started getting on some Facebook sites on people that actually roast coffee and talk them. Some shared their recipes because everything is a recipe, basically. It's like barbecuing. You add a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And then you cup it. You see if it tastes good. Then you give it out to all your friends. You're like, dude, this stuff is bomb. Boom, you have it. So you record exactly what percentage of beans, the temperature, you know, depending on what, if it's a medium, light or dark roast, there's all kinds of factors that go into it, but there's an application on an iPad that you can do and it tracks every single, every, every uh, roast you have on it. So if you do the same ones, they're consistent every time. And that's hard to do because sometimes like, what's the, do you, what's the app that you use? Uh, this Therma something, it's from a company called Rainfrog. Um, there's only two of them. One was really expensive. I didn't, I looked at it. I didn't like it. It was too complicated. This thing here is really easy. It's just, it's just temperature and time and it's a graph and, and you can follow the same pattern every single time. This way you make the flavors. They're exactly the same every time. Now getting the same beans is a problem sometimes because you're ordering it from different countries. And I go through a third party right now and sometimes they run out or there was a big freeze in Brazil not too long ago. The beans I was, I was getting gone. And I'm like, well, how do I sustain the same flavor. So I had to go through a different company that had similar, you know, there's different variations. So I got it back to as close as you can, but it's did, not. Did you end up having to eat the loss when you buy those beans and they're not? No, I'll roast them still and I'll give them away. Um, I'll be honest with you. If you, small batch or craft coffee, they call it, um, you can roast almost any coffee. And if it's fresh, day and night difference. You buy the stuff that's in the stores, there's additives to it, per, uh, preservatives. They th you know, maybe throw nitrogen in there, last a little longer, but it's still a food group. It's going to taste like crap after a while. So all my beans, you order it, I roast it, I ship it to you. It's as fresh as it gets, unless you let it sit in your cupboard for a couple months. So in all honesty, f true fresh coffee is day and night difference. You won't What's have much acidity or bitterness to it because it's fresh, but coffee sits there longer, it starts to develop foul flavors. So when somebody buys a bag of coffee, whoever would buy it from, what's the longest you want to sit on it for? I suggest month, two months tops. So I have a lot of subscribers that buy, they, they pay for a subscription for a certain amount of coffee every month. And I always tell them, hey, don't, you know, if, if it's going to sit in your shelf too long, don't. We'll, we'll kick up the frequency to every two weeks instead of every month. This way, you're, if, you, if you're really a truly a coffee snob and you want it to taste the same every time, then I would suggest that. Now, as far as getting into the distribution angle, what advice can you give to somebody? Are you doing it all through your website? Yep. Yep. I have not, I have not done anything um, retail yet, which I'm going to get into eventually, but I'm in the process of moving to Tennessee. So that state, I think what I'd like to do is I'm actually going to open up some type of a coffee shop out there because they're very patriotic. I mean, uh, Tennessee, every other house has an American flag on and all the other ones have a Trump flag still. It's crazy. So they're very pro law enforcement. So I figure I'd like to open up some type of a coffee shop out there and still do, you know, what I do and get in the retail. Um, but I, since I'm in transition between here and there, there's no sense in me getting the whole pop-up, 
you know, the, the thing and go to different, you know, canine venues and what have you start selling it. I think it'd just be kind of a waste of my time at this point. So I would imagine that it's forced you to stay on a smaller production scale so that you don't have a lot of finished product just kind of sitting. Well, the way it works is again, you order it. I get the, I get the order that morning and I'll roast it. I'll sit on it for about two days because the beans have to degas and then I'll ship it to you. Now, if it's whole bean, which I always suggest if you'll get a grinder, coffee is always fresher when it's, when it's, um, when you grind it from whole bean. Um, I can ship it right away because by the time it gets there, it's already degassed. So that's kind of how that works. And grinding it yourself, it, how do you know what to, to grind its fineness or coarseness? Everyone's different. Depends. Like we talked earlier about the pour overs, the French presses, the AeroPress. If you got a Keurig, um, it just depends. The finer the grind, you get more of a taste depending on what you put it in. The course depends if you soak it longer in a French press. There's, again, you can play with it. You can Google it. And there are so many different techniques that people do. Um, and then, you'll find exactly what they like the, the best and they'll stick with that. Now, being that this is a food group and it, a, com, a, a consumable product, does the FDA get involved in no. your? No, they don't. Cause it's considered a cottage, a cottage food or cottage law. Um, there's not this, that's that kind of handling that they, that they expect. Do you have to stay below a certain production level for that? No, no, not at all. So everything's done in a clean, you know, environment kind of thing. I wear gloves, the whole nine yards and stuff. But um, there's really coffee. I think that's why so many people sell coffee because it's easy to get into. It's not really regulated like other people are. Um, you know, I mean, if you can sell tacos on a on a truck on the corner of a street, I think I think the coffee will be okay. <laughs> you know? Now, going the different angle, you set up your business, you're you're selling your coffee, but now you want to start doing the donation or the fundraising, setting up the whole aspect to that part of your business. What advice can you give to somebody? Uh, well, we, we've been doing that since day one. That was my goal is, um, doing fundraisers for cops that have been injured. We did do, we started off actually, um, fallen officers for their families and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, no one really wanted to do it because most agencies, if he was, he or she was killed in line of duty, the department, there's a lot of money that comes into the, to the family and stuff. So people are like, well, why would I want to buy coffee and 50% this and that? So it didn't really work out the way I originally thought. Um, but the wounded cops that are injured, maybe been fired or what have you, and they're looking for legal money, all these different things, it's it's a hit in that sense. But I don't always do all of the advertising because we don't want to be known as 100% fundraising. We want to be known as a coffee company, but this is this is the other portion of our company. We want to help out as much as humanly possible. Um, so we... We'll contact a lot of people or we get a lot of people contacting us saying, hey, we need, we're doing a fundraiser for this. You know, what can you do for us? We'll always usually do 50% of where the net sales are, but we let them advertise. So they'll do it on their social media saying, hey, we're doing a fundraiser because we need a new canine and we're looking to raise 15 grand. Um, Blue Line Roasting, they're going to donate 50% of all net proceeds. Use this code for the next three days on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it's a done deal. Um, But they do most of the work for you. And reaching out saying, hey, come on here, help us with this. Because if I keep doing that on my website, then I look like I'm just a 501c, which I'm not. Um, so I don't want to end up being a nonprofit. Um, so that was what I was getting at. You yeah. you haven't gone down the, the legal paperwork route of, of formulating a nonprofit organization. Yeah, I don't want to, I, That will not happen with my company. That so will not happen. You can still do the donation to a given cause and you just for no other term, documented on your business expenses well, that you donated. Just don't tell my CPA. <laughs> God, she hates me. 
She's like, you keep handing out checks to these guys. She goes, can you get a lot, maybe like a guy has a 501 or something? I'm like, yeah. So there's a couple, I can't give up all my secrets, but right. I have a few friends along the way that I've, that I've met and they have 501C. So I'll donate the money to them and then they cut the check to the family. And this way we can avoid it all. Because if not, I, I eat the taxes on it. And that, it hurts. It hurts a lot. So I figured that out the first year. I'm like, that was a lot. Now, how much time do you have to devote to the shipping and packaging process? Or is that all handled third party? I do it. I do it all. So you're going to the, or does, does an Amazon truck just basically back no, up to your driveway no, every I, day? No, no um, I have a shop where I roast out of. And then I do a lot of my own, I do all my own packing um, because I, I have my system of what I do. Um, usually I'll just take it to the post office, excuse me, take it to the post office myself or the UPS office, depending on what, what's being shipped. Um, but now I'm a one man show. Now finding a supplier for your beans, is that a process or pretty easy? It's easy. It just, the prices are different and the prices are going up, you know, as we speak right now, unfortunately, everything's going up and I don't want to hand that down to the the consumer. I, everything's free shipping. I eat the shipping and shipping is ridiculous. Just to ship one bag of coffee in the United States between $5 and $5 and 80 cents, depending. And the more bags, it starts to come down just a little bit, but a lot of people just buy one bag because they want to try it. Profits aren't, you know, super high, but you know, we're, we're dealing with a decent amount of volume on a daily basis. So it's, it's a good thing. Uh, but we have, like I said, we do in wholesale on the, on that end of it. So we sell people, they're, they're putting it in their own bags, um, rebranding, I guess if you're going to put it that way. Um, but, and we give out a lot for fundraisers. Now did the, the whole roasting for somebody else so that they can rebrand, did that come or I keep using the term organically, or did you seek out people looking for somebody to roast for them? I didn't seek out at first. They start, people started coming to me, believe it or not, because we're like, hey, this guy's roasting. It's not the easiest thing to do. It, it's a little complicated, but like anything, if you're not working, you get all day long to do this stuff. And, you know, my pension is pretty decent where I can afford. I'm buying beans left and right, and I'm roasting them and killing them. And But now I can fine tune it. Now I can buy a certain, you know, a certain um, bean from a different, different country and go exactly this is how I'm going to roast it. And usually now it turns out pretty good. And how many pounds do you buy at a time? Uh, a couple of hundred easy. So I have the UPS truck drive and he <laughs> always cart and he sings out. I give him a free bag of coffee just cause it's a hustle. <laughs> that poor guy. He's like, he sees your address. He's like, ah, uh, damn it. No, he loves me cause he gets free coffee. So <laughs> I give, I'm giving out free coffee left and right. So that's not a good business model. I'm I know sure your CPA has probably got a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, that part of it, at least the fundraising, we, like I said, we give out probably about, probably about a thousand dollars worth of coffee a month, give or take. And I'm getting so many requests for different organizations. Like I just got one from California narcotic. It's not CNOA. It's CNEA or something. And they've been around since like 89, they said, and they want to get, you know, some coffee for their fundraiser and stuff. And I have a list of people and I, the list gets too big each month. And I got to tell people, got to hit me up another month. Get Be first in line at the beginning of the month and I'll get you in. If not, I, I can't. Because if not, I'm just just dishing out coffee left and right and I'll go broke doing that. Right. Um, so I do have a limit to it. And there's some people I've had to turn away and I feel bad. I'm like, hey, just on the same email thread, email me next month or the month after, you know, or if you know you got an event six months out, jam me earlier on so I can get this stuff to you and I'll get you, you know, put you on that list. And then um, all I ask is just show me what you, you know, what, what you did so that I know that this is actually working. Um, I've had a few agencies that 
they dropped the ball. They didn't take pictures. They didn't recontact me back and stuff. So I usually put them in a little black book and negative next time because, you know, I need a little bit of publicity, but I also need to know how much, if this is working, because if it is, if you guys are raising a lot of money, like seeing it, like, or, um, concerns of police survivors, 17 grand. That's my number one person right now. I need to know this because I know it's working because I want to work more with them. But I would imagine also too, for you as a business, if you've got a quality entity that you're working with, you're willing to grow, so to speak, with them because you're still getting residual advertising for your company. Yeah. Yeah. We're involved in two movies right now too. Um, I met Jonathan Hickory. Um, like product placement? Yeah, actually he did a movie called uh, Breaking Every Chain. It's actually coming on all theaters here pretty soon. He won all kinds of awards. Um, his story is he got involved in alcoholism, um, attempted suicide, had some affairs behind his wife's back and stuff, and then he found God. And he wrote a book about it. The book went viral. It did really good. And then um, he made a movie on it. Dean Cain's in it and stuff. And so I pumped money into his in his movie, and I gave him a bunch of free coffee all the time. And um, we're, on the, we're going to be in the credits. There's some product placement in there, too. Um, Lindsay Melchoir, she used to be, I think it was the bold and the beautiful for like 20 years. She's married to an Anaheim copper. Um, she has a docu-series called monochrome and it is so professional. It's an incredible docu-series on how the public views law enforcement and how this, there's always this misperception, but how do we change that? And there's not a lot of movies out there. It's always about, you know, it's, it's, what this person saw and the cops views this. And it's always, you know, there's always some kind of misconception of everything. Hers is going to be different. I think you're going to like it. Um, she does some product placement there as well. Now that we became friends, she's a super nice lady. Um, very professional. She's been on Fox news, a, a grip at times. Um, so her, her docuseries is going to be coming out. She wants to get into the different things on, on PTSD, why, why cops leave, how, you know, how are you going to fix this kind of thing? But she wants the public to understand truly what it's like to be a police officer. But she also wants the police officer to know what it's like to be, to be the public. The, exactly. Because I don't think there's always, it's always a one-way street. It needs to be both ways. Right. And I think that's what her docuseries is going to be all about. And I got a preview of it. I'd love to share it with you, but I can't. It's sworn <laughs> to secrecy. But she is doing a bang-out job. Really, very talented woman. Now, long-term for your company, as far as, you, you mentioned potentially opening up your own coffee shop. But what would be long-term growth ideals? Okay. Uh, if I can get to black rifle status, <laughs> which that's my goal. I always say aim for the moon. You may land somewhere else. But uh, um, my goal would be to be something like that. If if I could be a $100 million company like they are, could you imagine the damage that I could do for law enforcement on helping out or doing whatever? Because that's where my heart's always been. It, it'll always bleed blue no matter what. And And the neat thing about this job, too, is I'm talking to cops all across the United States. You'd be surprised how different they are out there in the East Coast compared to California. I mean, there's there's day and night difference. You know, I've been out to the wall twice in D.C. And you go to the bar, you talk to some of these guys, you're like, wow, man, these guys are totally drinking uniform. What's going on with you? But I believe it's either NYPD or New York Fire that they're allowed to drink two beers on two, duty. Two. Yeah, it's crazy. But you're meeting these guys all across the United States and you're hearing their different stories but the one thing that is true amongst us all is we all care about each other and we all have that heart to want to help somebody. Um, it's not, I don't think any cop wakes up because yeah, I'm going to be a cop today. I mean, it might be a few that like to carry a gun and be all macho or whatever, 
But the vast majority of us wake up and go, I want to serve mankind. I want to serve people. I want to fix people's problems. And that's, it's universal, I think. And being able to talk to people all across the United States that I've never met, never met in person, like we talk on the phone, it's, it's rewarding. So if I can get this to be that status, you know, God willing, um, I, I just, I can, I can only imagine the, the good things that we could do with law enforcement, you know, whether it's PTSD, you know, or suicide prevention, all these things. Cause we're look at this last couple of years, how many costs have we lost to suicide? I could have been one of them. You know, I lost one friend to it. It's like, how do you, how do you combat that? Well, this is my way of doing my part because if you have to do a little bit at a time, you can't just jump into it. Um, but if everyone, you know, collectively does these things, I think it'll, uh, we can turn this thing around. I, I do believe that. Does the growth of your company mean a larger selection or just more quantity of what oh, you no, have? I got, I got some ideas coming. <laughs> I got some, yeah. I guess. So you're like a mad scientist. You're always playing. I, yeah, I have the formulas already. I just, I, I want to wait because this transition to Tennessee is really killing me right now. And um, actually my daughter's going out there before me and I got to get her out there with her son. And uh, so I'm really busy. And again, I'm a one man show and uh, I'm trying to figure these things out, but I got these blends that are coming up. This is going to blow your mind. It, it's going to be, it's the bags actually coffee's really good, but the bags are going to be epic. I, I think. And again, I mean, you look at all the, the names on here. I want to get names that cops, you know, failure drill and tap rack bang. If you look at other names besides black Rock, because I love their, their, their blend names. A lot of them are third watch you know, or rookie, the rookie blend. It's like, come on, man, get something a little, <laughs> little cops can relate to it. You know, I was like, do you need a fur missile for canines? And so people like it. And uh, it's funny because uh, I did, I should trademark it. Fur missile, black rifle now has a fur missile. I started the fur <laughs> missile copy and they copied me. <laughs> now, as far as the, the coffee lines, so, how do I want to ask this? Um, is there, you, you deal with a distributor to get your beans. Mm -hmm. So you have to use what the distributor has. Does, does a distributor give you worldwide access? Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I know I'm kind of going backwards on this, but it's just kind of been rattling around in my head. When you start seeking out, if, if somebody's listening and they want to start their own coffee company, is it literally just Google coffee bean distributor and then just, Shot in the dark, trial and error? Yep. Pretty much, pretty much. And I went through a couple of different companies and it was really expensive. They charge you an arm and a leg for shipping. And some of the beans, believe it or not, I got one company called Feta Ridge and they were infested with um, kind of, it was not a fly, not like a fruit fly. It was a bug that eats these beans. And there was, and I'm like, what the heck? So I had to ship it back to them. I'm like, I'm not going to use this company again. Will that cross-contaminate anything else yes. that you have? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I have, I have what, probably at least 1500 pounds on hand. So at, at any given time. Um, so if I, if I had to be careful, cause if not, it gets the rest of them and it all it takes is one bug and probably ruin the whole batch. But um, there's other companies that you can taste their beans too. The quality is not as good. You can, you can look at a bean itself and just go, this looks like crap. This, this is not good. You know, when you start to get bigger, you can actually go out there and talk to these farmers and I can tell them, Hey, this is going to be my micro lot. This is all mine right here. And here's the money ahead of time. This way you can stay consistent. See, that's where, that's where my questions are eventually going to. So when you're dealing with a new distributor, you're a new guy and you want to start trying to 
make coffee. And so how much do you have to buy? What I'm getting at is you talked about getting several hundred pounds now. Is that what you were purchasing from the get-go? No, no, no. I was only a couple hundred pounds at a time. I was burning it, you know, because figuring everything out, trial and error by everything. Um, and usually you get it pretty quick, within a few days if you need it. Um, but I, as, as I went from the smaller machine to the bigger machine, my business started to grow along with it. So I kind of kept it in check with it and just ordered as I, as I go. But having beans on hand at roast is the number one important thing because if you don't, then you got to shut down maybe one or two of your blends, say it's sold out for the time being, and to get those beans in. For instance, like this whole car- and cargo issue that's going on right now, I'm screwed with a lot of stuff. So I had to go out and buy a ton of coffee because I know I'm going to get one shipment through for right now, and that has to last me for a certain amount of time because of this whole you know, cargo issue over Long Beach. Now, have you stayed with the same distributor through your... Yeah. This so one I have, you've yeah. established a relationship with them. Yeah. So then the, where I, I was the long way I was going to this is, is there a portion of the world as far as where beans are coming from that you haven't ventured into yet? That's kind of on your bucket list. Um, no, cause everything's really down to South America oh, okay. or Central America. Um, I haven't ventured too much into Africa. Um, I did buy some Canyon triple A's, they call them really hard bean to roast. Um, I wouldn't mind getting into that eventually down the road, but most of your stuff, your beans are all Central America. Just blending different ones, different percentages is really the key to it. I'm, and people, you talk to other roasters, they don't tell you their secret because it's, it's like their own little, you know, their homemade recipe and what tastes good, it works. And there's some people that taste are like, this isn't for me. It's like anything else. You do, you, do you find, are there beans that are more temperamental that maybe aren't worth your gamble to try to play with because of the cost? I do. Actually, I have a pea berry. Um, and the pea berry is basically, it's one, it's one seed, cherry, whatever you want to call it, um, inside the husk. And normally, if you look at a coffee bean, there's two sides of it. One, one side is flat, and the other side is kind of like a rounded, right? The pea berry, it looks more like an egg shape. So it's, it's almost completely round. Um, it's one bean or one seed inside that cherry, and they say that that seed gets all the flavors and nutrients instead of it splitting it up with two. So it's a little more expensive for that bean. They're really hard to roast. Because it's you can't make that for like a a light a light um, roast or whatever. It's more on the darker side, but it has a lot of chocolate flavors and it's incredible. Um, they're just a pain in the ass to to roast at times. Now, is there a bean that is so good, so whatever that you would never make it with as a blend? You only would use that Sumatra. I love the Sumatra. It's just it's awesome. So that's one that it's always a standalone. You can do Sumatra in it, it, almost in any whether light, medium, or dark, and it always tastes phenomenal. I don't know. I have no idea why. It's just, it's awesome. So any other words of advice other than probably somebody's, I'm sure, going to reach out to you through your website um, if they've got questions. But any other words of advice if you're looking to start a coffee company? Just do it. Just do it. And it's like, it's like, I always look at it as barbecuing. You know, how many times do you start off barbecue and you burn the hell out of everything? You're like, you're throwing it give it to the dog or something like that, right? Um, and then after a while, you start adding different sauces to it, different techniques, like, a, you know, like a baby back, a, a three, two, one method, which you probably barbecue a lot. So, you know, these different, different aspects and you get different flavors, different textures out of it. Coffee is no different, in the, but the variations are unlimited. You can add just a percent, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or, or just two, just mix two of them together and, and, and you'll cup it to see how it tastes. If it has the, the flavors that you want with the right beans, the right company, and then it all kind of blends in together. And once you figure that out, you write it all down or you, or you keep it on your iPad where it, it shows your roast. And all you got to do is copy that roast every single time. 
Did you ultimately blend for what tastes good to you, or did you were you aiming more to what tastes good to other people? Uh, I actually just still do it to myself. Um, I I did a lot of surveys. I sent stuff out in the past, like how many people actually put cream and sugar, and it's like 65, 70% people, they flavor their coffee. Why? Because they don't like black coffee, because black coffee tastes like crap sometimes. It just does. It's it's burnt water, people say. A lot of it's because it is burnt. If you, you Like drinking... Even like a, what's the Starbucks one that they normally have? It's not the blonde. It's Pike's Peak. It still tastes burnt. It, it just, has a you, bit. It has a bitterness to it, it. It does because that's just how that's their trademark. And people, since Starbucks is so huge, that's what people are used to. So, using the hot the hot air fluid bed roaster, um, it takes most of that away from it. It just does, and you'll find a much cleaner, smoother cup of coffee, whether it's a, a medium body or a full body but it, it gets rid of all of that. And you can actually sip the cup of coffee. And you're like, Hey, this stuff's pretty good black. You don't need to add nothing to it. And that was my goal, but it also means it needs to be sweet. It needs to have some chocolate tones to it. I have two that have some, um, a little bit of tobacco flavor in it. Some people like that, believe it or not. Um, but I found the right, the right beans, the right origin that have that. And that's what I focused on. So that's again, different origins have different flavors, but you have to be able to bring those notes out in roasting. And that comes in like a million different ways. Would you say your palate was mature enough when you started to be able to to get to a point where you could say, okay, yeah, this is a good tasting cup of coffee? Or has that had to improve also over time? It improved because I was tasting stuff. I'm like, this doesn't taste right. Like, because I'm used to Starbucks, 7-Eleven coffee. I never, I forget the gas stations. Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know, I, the big crazes. It, it tastes like crap, I think, personally. This is before I even did this. Um, but I always liked something that tasted smooth, that didn't have a bitter taste to it. Something you could just drink it. And you're like, oh, this is perfect. I can I can enjoy this. Um, that had just a little bit of sweetness to it. So I figured that's my palate. And I started working around doing that because I can't get into everyone's head. Right. You know, and it's like, again, it's like a, it's like going to a, if you're an alcoholic and you go to the bar, everyone has a different flavor. Add a little more of this, throw a little more of this. And it's, coffee's no different. Where I was going with that is I would imagine if you're, if you're trying to wrap your head around what everybody else might like, you're probably never going to get to a, a, a flavor. So you, you got to go with what works for yeah. you and hope that that works for the masses. So what I've learned is from doing a lot of uh, some studies on it and emailing people and, and sending out surveys kind of thing, um, smoothness is the number one thing. People, because people have a, the bitterness or the acidity. I don't care how smooth the coffee is, you're still going to taste that. So smooth is the most key thing that I have focused on. And everyone's like, I, I now I'm a black coffee drinker. I'm like, I've done my job. <laughs> so I'll bring this to the end with, so the poor guy who's working two o'clock in the morning, pushing his black and white around and wants yeah. a cup of coffee. What does he do? Go online and uh, just buy it. No, I mean, how, how do you, how do you brew a cup of coffee in the field at two o'clock in the oh, morning? Uh, Go to Dispatch. <laughs> Go to Dispatch. I'm sure they got a Keurig in there or something because those girls have all the gizmos, you know, how to, how to do it right. But if not, you can get your own AeroPress. You know, you can do that in the station. It's pretty easy. All you need access to some hot water kind of thing. Um, I'd love to get, and I do have uh, coffee in a couple different stations. We're in Portland, Oregon. Um, one of their stations up there, they, they do, they buy coffee for me on the regular. There's another chief... Um, where is he at again? They've got a barista working. I know, pretty place. much. Like so, yeah, Silicon Valley. I forgot the name of the agency. 
Mountain Hill or something. He's up there by the Google area or whatever. He's like, man, your coffee's really good. So he's constantly buying bags. So I gave him a discount code. I'm like, hey, I'll hook you guys up. Make sure you take care of you and stuff. So that's why I make a buck and you guys have good coffee and stuff. And they're, you know, getting their coffees. I think he just wants them to go 10-8 and go, go do some, go do some enforcement or something. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, hey, I appreciate your time. Anything else you'd like to kind of wrap up with, whether it be related to coffee or related to PTSD? Uh, the only thing, well, uh, coffee is just a side, a side thing, really. Um, the PTSD things is, is, um, dear to me. Um, cause cops, I, I think there's a lot of cops that do have it, but it might be at a very mild level. It could be a really bad level, like where I was at. And some, they go over the edge and we know the outcome of that one. Um, is seek help. That's all I can say. Just whatever you do, talk to a buddy, talk to a guy who's maybe gone through it. Um, because it's, it is survivable. It is. I don't care what anybody says. It's survival. Now, you're never going to shake it. It'll always be with you, more unlikely. But it's like anything else in life. You manage it. You know, you lose a limb, you figure out a way how to, how to get around. It's, it's really no different than that. But it can be done. Um, and I always suggest, again, because of my faith and stuff, I think if you bring God in the picture, um, he is the same as grace. He is. He saved my life. Um, and I made sure I put that on the bottom of my bag because, you know, In-N-Out Burger does that. They put their scripture on their stuff and um, I'm not afraid to, to talk about those things because he saved my life and that's what, he, what he's here to do. Um, so, you know, don't give up hope and talk to somebody, call me if you have to, I'm always be available 24 seven. You know, I, I've over the last couple of years, um, I've ran to a few cops and obviously I won't say who they are and stuff, but you know, I had to take their gun away from them, make sure that they're okay. And, um, I'm glad that they reached out because they're better now. Well, you bring up a great point in that not only does agent do agencies need to get better at encouraging their their people not even just officers dispatchers every one of us deals mm-hmm. with the stress that comes with this job yeah hey go get help but we need to do better jobs as partners yep. to when we see something in our partner not to ignore it not to be yep. afraid to have that because it's going to be a hard conversation yep but you got to look them in the eye and go hey you don't look like you're well what can I do to help yeah. you? Do you need some help? Yeah. Be and the brother. You have to be the brother. That We are our brother's keepers. We have to think that way. Um, but I think people, are, cops are still afraid to. But I do believe it's turning. I, I think it's turning. But if we don't, if, if we let off the gas on this, you know how that is. Right. We're back to square one again. And we can't do that. We can't. Um, and that's the reason why I'm here. I, I, this is the first interview I've ever done. I've talked to friends and stuff. And I've been a little bit more outspoken about my issues and what I had and stuff. And, you know, if the city wants to come after me for X, Y, and Z, that's fine. You know, go for it kind of thing. But um, I'm a whole I'm a whole man now compared to where I was. But what I went through, I don't want anybody else to go through because it is the worst, most horrible uh, in the desert by yourself kind of experience. And it's not the place to be. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to take care of each other. We take care of all these people out in the street. We put our lives in the line for them every single day. But we need to do more for each other. And the agency needs to back us up and letting us do that, letting us, you know, be that liaison to that guy or girl that's, that's going through this stuff and not make them feel like, Hey, we're going to take your badge away. Cause you're going to go to the puzzle factory pretty soon. That's the wrong approach. You know, they'll, they'll say nice things to you, but in the back room, it's, hey, we're going to pull this guy's badge. Cause he's a liability. Can't be that way. Yeah. It's not, it's not a liability. It's, it's a medical issue that needs medical treatment. It is. And, and again, like if you look at all the cops in recent years that have committed suicide, they don't go run around the station, killing everybody else in the station. 
they, they harm themselves because they're they're tired of feeling the way they're feeling and they feel this is the only way out. So yeah, it's a liability in that, that issue, but I think they're always worried about someone going post or whatever. Really, where have you seen that happen? It's always an individual by themselves because they're struggling and they're alone and they're in the desert. That's not the place to be. They can't be there. They need the department to let them know, bro, we got you. We're going to get you through this and you're going to go 10-8 and you're going to handle your stuff and we're going to be just fine. You're going to have a nice lengthy you know, career. You're going to get to retirement. You're going to be where you want to go be instead of being a basket case. It's just, it can't be that way anymore. What's the website? Uh, com. Yep. And your the ability to get contact to you through the website? Yep. There's a, a um, contact form on the bottom there. I usually respond within a day. Um, there's also an email in there. There's stuff on the side of my bags too, email addresses on one of the sides over here. Um, but yeah, if there's anyone also that, that's listening to this podcast that is, that's out in the field and they're struggling, email me, give me your number. I will call you personally. I don't care who you are or what your situation you're in. I'm not going to tattle. I'm not going to go contact your department and say X, Y, and Z. I'm going to help them out. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com. And through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.